Good morning, church. I hope everybody is doing well today. We enjoyed the taste of spring in the air a little bit this week. I don't know. I think it's just teasing us. I'm just kind of bracing myself for the next winter storm to come. Who knows? Um, but I hope you're able to get out and enjoy it some. Um, so Darren in our Connections class today gave us the challenge to invite just at least one person to come to our adult Connections class on Sunday morning. So I'm going to cheat and invite everybody. <laughs> Beat that. Beat that. <laughs> if you aren't coming to our Connections class, we'd love to have you. We're starting a new series uh, coming up just next week. We've got books available. It's 9 a.m., uh, and it's, it's really good discussion and in-depth um, learning uh, through the Word. And it's very practical, applicable stuff. Um, so if you aren't in the habit of coming, please come. And if you're wondering, like, what's going to happen with my kids, we've got you covered. We've got classes for kids of all ages, um, preschool on up through uh, teens. So we got you covered. Um, Today, we are continuing our series through the book of John. Uh, if you're new to us, we started in the book of John uh, back in the fall when I first started here. And then we took a break, and now we're coming back to it. And we're going to be in the book of John until Easter. That's kind of where we are heading with all of this. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go ahead and open up to John 13. John chapter 13, arguably one of the most familiar chapters in the entire gospel of John. And it truly is, aside from maybe the scene on the cross itself, this scene recorded in John chapter 13 is truly the love of God in Christ on full display. So let's talk about this today. And in case you're wondering, and you're putting the dots together like, uh-oh, this is the foot washing episode. Um, no, we're not, I'm not going to like do the whole, hey, let's have somebody come up here and I wash their feet. Okay, that's been done. Maybe we've seen that done. Maybe it's been done to us. Okay, I get it. Sometimes it can feel a little bit more like a, a, a trope, okay? And almost defeats the purpose of what Jesus is trying to do here. So... Rest assured, I'm not going to make anybody take their shoes off, all right? We're good. But here in John chapter 13, uh, let's just dive right into the first couple verses here, okay? Well, really, verse 1 sets the stage. It says, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I mentioned last week that there seems to be this countdown going throughout John's gospel. His hour had not yet come. His time hadn't come yet. It wasn't his time yet. It's this countdown building to something. And then in chapter 12, we see, boom, my hour has come. And that sets the stage for everything else that Jesus does. He knows it's time. So, before the Passover, he knew his hour had come. This is it. These are the final moments I'm going to have with my disciples. But it also makes clear that this is during the Passover festival. This is the third 
Passover festival recorded in John's gospel. John, honestly, if you wanted to use the Passover as an outline for the gospel of John, you could easily do that. Do that. Uh, the first mention is in way back in chapter 2, where Jesus goes and clears out the temple, makes room for everybody to have free, unhindered access to the Father in the temple. Uh, the second time it's mentioned is in chapter 6, and that's in connection with the, the signs of feeding the 5,000 in the wilderness and walking on water. He is recreating the Exodus narrative for the people of Israel during the time of the Passover. And then finally here, chapters 12 and 13, we're told this is right at the Passover festival. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, is getting ready to offer himself as the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate Passover lamb, if you will. Um, His hour had come. Like I mentioned earlier, this is uh, like a major theme, a thread that runs throughout John's gospel. And it's not just that his hour for the crucifixion had come. But it's also the resurrection and the ascension. In other words, the fullness of God's plan is about to commence. The fullness of his plan. Not just that he's going to the cross, but he knows also what's going to come after. Now, does that make it easier to face the cross? Not necessarily. (laughs) Not necessarily. But he knows it's time. It's time. And finally, he loved them to the end. Another way of saying this is he loved them to the uttermost. Not just the end of his time on earth, but to the fullest extent to which someone can love another person. Everything that happens next is driven by the fullest extent of God's love for mankind. He loved them to the uttermost. As much as Another person can love someone. He loved his disciples. And that drives everything that comes next. The scene is set. This is what's coming. Um, Verse 2 and 3 kind of give us a little bit more context. Now when the time for supper had come, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. But Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. All right? He knows what's going on. He is in full control of everything that happens next. So what does he do? Let's check this out. Even if you're familiar with this, um, I want to do a side-by-side comparison. Tyson uh, read Philippians 2, 5 through 11 for us earlier. And it is striking, the comparisons, how well these two align. We think of the great Christ hymn of Philippians chapter 2. And I did this with our Wednesday night group a little while back. But I wanted to point this out to everybody because I think it's important for us to see. So let's check out the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and how it aligns with the Christ hymn of Philippians chapter 2. Check this out. So Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God. Pause. Who? Christ. Who? Existing in the form of God. He knew where he came from. He wasn't just some guy. He had come from God. 
and that he was going back to God. So he got up from the supper and laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around his waist. Check this out. Jesus knew, wait, I skipped ahead there a little bit. Um, that, uh, let's see, next he poured the water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel he had tied around himself. He did not consider equality with, some, with God as something to be grasped. He knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, but he didn't use it to get out of anything that he had done. Um, it goes on. When he got up from the supper, he laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, tied around himself. Philippians 2. Instead, he emptied himself and assumed the form of a servant. Jesus looked around at the supper. They're all reclining there. Um, and you didn't, like, sit around tables in chairs so much. Um, think of, honestly, this platform that I'm standing on is the dinner table. All right? It was very low to the ground. And you'd have cushions and uh, pillows and stuff all around to make it comfortable. And people would recline on their left elbow and eat with their right, with their feet kind of sticking away from the table, all right? Uh, and, and he noticed, he looked around, he noticed, hey, everything's set and prepared, but nobody has washed the feet yet. Nobody's washed anybody, nobody, nobody prepared for that. Nobody uh, assigned or took that upon themselves or whatever. And so Jesus is like, I'll do it. The one who had come from God, who existed in the very form of God, took it upon himself to take off his outer garment, wrap around a towel around his waist, grab the bowl and towel, and do the dirty work. Assuming the form of a servant. So he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Philippians 2 reminds us that he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death. Honestly, some of us would rather die than, watch, than wash somebody else's feet, right? Some of us are so opposed to that kind of contact that we would <laughs> rather do anything else. But Jesus took it upon himself to, to humble himself and do the most menial, the most disgusting of tasks. Now, you're, you might be thinking, well, what's so bad about washing feet? Well, we wear socks and shoes, and honestly, we don't walk everywhere. We drive places, right? Not so back in Jesus' day. Um, I mean, I shouldn't have to say this, but just a reminder that they basically wore sandals and walked along dirt roads everywhere. If you've ever been out in the summer wearing sandals all day, out in the country walking along dirt and gravel roads, you know how nasty your feet can get, right? And it feels so good after you get in the shower and just wash all that gunk off right? They didn't have showers. That was somebody's job to wash people's feet. Ugh, the crusty, nasty, stepping in who knows what. Yeah, nobody wants to do that. But Jesus took it upon himself to do this humiliating task. So when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer clothing and he reclined again. Philippians 2, for this reason, God has highly exalted him. After Jesus came to do the task he, he came to do, to be, take on the form of a servant, to humble himself and become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, God 
highly exalted him and put him back in that place of honor that he had originally come from. Just as at the table, he has the place of honor as the host. He leaves it, takes on the form of a servant, and then comes back to his place as host around the table. Um, and then he goes on. Uh, he, he says, he asks them, do you know what I've done for you? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're speaking rightly since that's what I am. Philippians 2. So God gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He says, you disciples call me teacher and Lord, and that's what I am. You have made that confession. You do know who I am properly. Okay? But, he says, so if I, your teacher, your Lord, your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I've done for you. Philippians 2, the great Christ hymn, Paul starts out with this whole idea, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. These two passages align perfectly. Jesus is reenacting his entire mission here in this one scene of washing his disciples' feet. And that's not just to say, oh, how interesting, but that's really to say, wow, this is the culmination of everything Jesus came to do. If Jesus did nothing else and simply did that as God's son, stooping down to take on the lowest position to wash his disciples' feet and then retake his position at head of the cross, head of the table, I mean, that in itself is a foreshadowing of everything that's going to happen at the cross. Like, that should be enough. This one story has stuck with us and resonates with us because it's so simple, yet it's so so incredibly profound. So let's talk about a little bit about what it means, all right? We read the story. What does it mean for us? Well, like I've said, this is the final display of his love for them. This is the last time all 12 disciples will be together. Yes, including Judas. We'll get to him in a minute. This is the final display of his love for them. They've been this collective group, these 12 men and Jesus for three to three and a half years, traveling together, camping together, eating meals together, going fishing together, teaching the crowds, healing people, driving out demons. They've seen it all. And yet here they are at something as routine as a dinner, And he says, this is the moment. This is one of the last times I'm going to get to show you, not just say, but show you how much I love you. And like I mentioned, this is him enacting his entire mission. His entire mission is on display and summed up in what he does here. Jesus never came to make much of himself. In fact, the very um, temptations of Satan with, with Jesus in the wilderness, a lot of, all of those really temptations of Jesus in the wilderness were about making much of himself, using his powers for himself, or taking shortcuts to fame and, and gathering a following and making much of himself. That's how Satan tempts 
people, with power, with fame, with accolades, with, with people thinking highly of you. And Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm about. I'm not about making much of myself. I'm about becoming a servant and stooping down and doing the lowest of the low of these tasks. And it symbolizes the washing away of their sins. All right, let's get to this a little bit. This is kind of a tricky passage here, but um, it does, this is a section that we skipped over real quick. Um, Yeah, they're in uh, verses six through 10. So he's going around washing the disciples' feet. He comes to Simon Peter, good old Peter, who always speaks before thinking. Uh, He came to Simon Peter who asked, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? Absolutely not that, no. To which Jesus says, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but after you'll understand. You'll never wash my feet, Peter said. Never. You're too good for that, Jesus. To which he says, if I don't wash you, then you have no part with me. (laughs) Simon said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my head and hands. Like, all right, give me a whole bath. Like, okay, if that's what it takes to have a connection and relationship with you, I'm all in. Peter, you still don't get it. (laughs) One who's bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he's completely clean. What's happening here? That's weird. That's a weird interaction. I think Jesus is hinting at the washing away of sins and our baptism. He gives us moments and gives us symbols throughout our lives to remind us of things. And the simple act of foot washing, or maybe in our case, taking your morning showers, whatever it is, he reframes to remind us of our baptism, of the moment that we had our sins washed away and that we are completely clean. But even somebody that's completely clean still has to have their feet washed occasionally. Even if you've been baptized and had your sins washed away, you are completely clean, but your feet still get dirty. You still have to wash away some of the filth occasionally. And that's what Jesus is here to do. To take away, John tells us in 1 John, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It's not that we're gonna be perfect. You take a shower, you're still gonna get dirty. Okay, we get that. You get baptized, you're still gonna sin and mess up. We get that, but there is forgiveness and there is cleansing and there is hope and it comes through Jesus. Unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Maybe some of you have been putting off baptism. Maybe you've been putting it off too long. Maybe you need to have a full part with Jesus and have him wash you completely clean of all your guilt and sin and all the stains. We can do that. We can be ready for you if that's the case. But this foot washing symbolizes the washing away of sins. In other words, our baptism. Um, It's the ultimate act of service and humility. It's normally reserved for non-Jewish servants. This was, again, the lowest of the low position that could be had in a dinner setting like this. Lower than the person cooking the meal or serving the meal or whatever, cleaning up after the meal is the person assigned foot washing. You did not want that. And Jesus took it upon himself to do that for us. And finally, it demonstrates love of enemies because guess who else is there? Judas. (laughs) 
John makes a point to emphasize the fact that Judas was at that dinner and he was there. Jesus, knowing what Judas was going to do, washed his feet anyway, showed his love anyway, stooped down and scrubbed those crusty, grimy, dirty toes of the one who just later that night would turn him over to the authorities. He knew what was going to happen, and he washed Judas's feet too. Jesus says, love your enemies, and that's not just in theory. <laughs> Jesus says that means in practice too. That's why he would say, you are all clean, but not all of you, for, you, for he knew who would betray him. But here's the thing, nobody else expected Judas. Do you realize that? Nobody else expected Judas. Judas was just one of them. Judas was just one of the guys, one of the 12. He had been with them through thick and thin already. All the little points in, that we get to see into Judas's character, that all comes after the fact. When John tells us, like in chapter 12, that Judas didn't really care for the poor, but he kept the money bags and to help himself to some of the money that was donated to Jesus' mission... So he was a thief, he was a liar, he didn't really care about people. Nobody expected that in the moment. It's only looking back afterwards. Nobody expected Judas because the, the scene goes on that uh, Jesus is saying, point blank, one of you is going to betray me and nobody knows who it is. No, everybody's confused at what's happening. Nobody expected Judas. We'll get back to him in a minute. But what does that mean for us? Okay. Jesus says, I've washed your feet, so you should wash others' feet. Does that mean literally? I don't know. Some people have taken it very literally over the years. Maybe you've been a part of a foot washing ceremony at times. I know there are some traditions where um, a, a, a bride and groom will have a foot washing ceremony at their wedding as a show of, like, I'm here to serve you. Okay, that's, okay, if you want to do that, it's fine. Um, I've been a part of these things before, and it is weird. <laughs> it is weird to have somebody else's foot in your hands. Now, maybe if you're uh, you know, doing pedicures and stuff all the time, then maybe it's not such a big deal. But it is weird if you're not used to that. So does that mean we should literally wash somebody else's feet? Maybe not so much. But what does it mean for us? Well, I think it flows from what Jesus would later tell them in the rest of what comes in chapters 14, 15, and 16, to love one another unconditionally. This is the type of love we're supposed to have for one another. Jesus would later say, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for your friends. And like I said, somebody, some of us would rather die than wash somebody else's feet. Um, it also means to forgive others of their sins. Whereas foot washing represents the washing away of sins, how can we show that kind of thing to other people? Well, it's to forgive them their sins. Uh, to love our enemies and to serve them too, right? Not to turn away service from anybody, not to um, keep anybody out because they're not good enough, even if we know what kind of person they are. It calls us to humble ourselves and to serve others. No job is beneath us, right? I'm not too good to clean the toilets. Please don't make me. But I'm not too good to if I have to, right? 
No job is beneath us. Our custodian right now, uh, Misty Butcher, uh, just had hand surgery, so she's actually out for a couple of weeks. Keep her in your prayers for the recovery. Uh, if you've never met Misty, she is a firecracker of a person. Uh, she, she will talk your ear off, tell you her whole life story and then some, and you'll be like exchanging phone numbers by the end of it. I don't know. That's all in five minutes. She's a great person, does a fantastic job cleaning our facilities, but she's out right now. So who are the ones cleaning, taking out the trash and, and cleaning up around here? I mean, our office ladies, Shannon and Jamie doing a great job. Frank doing a great job filling in. Um, you know, Josh and I kind of seeing what needs to be done around the building and just kind of taking care of things as needed. No task is beneath us. No task is beneath you. And remind, remember, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. If he washed our feet, we should also wash other people's feet. This is from the author N.T. Wright, what he has to say about this. I love how he encapsulates everything that's happened here. He says, the point is that for us, as for Jesus, we should be looking away from ourselves and at the world we are supposed to be serving. Where the world's needs and our vocation meet is where we ought to be, ready to take on insignificant roles, if that's what God wants, or to be publicly visible, if that's our calling. And as with Jesus, the picture of foot washing is meant to serve not only as a picture of all sorts of menial tasks that we may be called to perform without drawing attention to them. It also points towards the much larger challenge to follow Jesus all the way to the cross, to lay down life itself in service of God and the world he came to save. When Jesus says, I've given you an example that you should do as I've done. That means take up your cross and follow me. We're going to the cross together. We're laying down our lives for the sake of other people. That's what it means. So what about Judas? What happened to Judas? Now, this is fascinating to me because um, John gives us a little bit of, of insight into who was sitting where around the table, all right? And I'll try to make this quick. Um, we know that the disciple whom Jesus loved was to Jesus' right, okay? So if Jesus is reclining at the table like this, eating with his right hand, we're told that the disciple whom Jesus loved, who many believe to be John himself, was just next to him right here so that he could lean back kind of onto Jesus' chest and have a conversation with him. But also, we know that Peter was probably across the table from them because he's trying to have a, a cross-table conversation with John to ask Jesus, hey, who's the one that's going to betray us? Ask him. So when John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, leaned back and asked Jesus, hey, who is it that's going to betray you? Jesus' answer is the one whom I dip my bread and give it to, that's who's going to betray me. So if John is on this side, and the other disciple who's going to betray him is within handing reach of the bread, that means Judas is probably right here next to Jesus. That means Jesus probably dipped the bread and handed it straight over to Judas. 
Judas and Jesus seemed to be close. In fact, skipping ahead a little bit, do you remember what Judas said would be the sign of the guy that the officers were supposed to arrest? Well, what was the sign? The one I greet with a kiss. Jesus still said, called him friend. What a betrayal. <laughs> what a betrayal. And I don't have all the answers for why Judas did what he did. There's theories and speculations out the wazoo about why Judas did what he did. All we're told is that the Satan, the accuser, the enemy, the devil, whatever you want to call him, had put it into Judas's heart to betray Jesus. That's one of your questions on the study guide thing on the back of your uh, notes. I want you to think about that and maybe talk it over with some other people. What do you think? Why do you think Judas did what he did? Let's talk about that a little bit in our discussion groups, maybe later throughout the week. Right? But nobody expected him. Even when he left, Jesus said, hey, what you're going to do, do quickly. We're told the other disciples thought he was just going to go out and use some of the money to give to the poor, as was custom around the Passover time. But we know otherwise. He was going out to betray him, and it was night. John uses light and darkness in very specific ways. The fact that it was night when Judas left points us to the fact that darkness is closing in. The darkness, the, the true enemy that we talked about last week is ready to strike, ready to pounce. The darkness is coming. Evil is going to have a heyday with Jesus and his other disciples. The scene is set. I want to read kind of the last bits of this. All right. So this is um, verse 31. When he had left, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I'm with you for a little while longer. You'll look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so now I told you, where I'm going, you can't come. I give you a new command. Love one another. As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, I'm going, I'm leaving. You can't follow me, but love each other. Stick together. Lay down your lives for each other. Just as I have loved you. This takes it beyond the whole love your neighbor as yourself. We are to love one another as Jesus has loved us. this incredibly intimate moment with his remaining disciples. And Peter asks, where are you going? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> I'm pouring out my heart to you guys. <laughs> like, I can just sense the frustration in Jesus with guys like Peter. 
Like, Peter, I love you, but come on, man. <laughs> Where? Love one another? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I loved you, sure, okay. Where are you going? <laughs> Gosh, Peter, come on, man. But I, I love this. Um, Jesus said, where I'm going now, you can't follow. But you will follow later. Lord, Peter said, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. To which Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, before the, a rooster won't crow until you've denied me three times. Ouch, what a way to end a chapter. But this whole idea of, will you lay down your life for me, is exactly what, what Peter had earlier said to Jesus. Will you wash my feet? Jesus just flips it right on Peter. Will you lay down your life for me? Uh-uh. I'm laying down my life for you. Where I'm going, you can't go. You will follow later. I think predicting the kind of death that Peter would die, but we'll get to that later. Are you going to lay down your life for me? That's not how this works, Peter. I'm not asking you to lay down your life for me. I'm asking you to love one another. <laughs> to live for me, to live out my mission because I'm leaving and I'm leaving everything I've done into your hands. And that's everything that follows next in the next three chapters. Love one another. I'm not asking you right now to lay down your life for me, Jesus says. I'm asking you to lay down your lives for each other and to be there for each other, to love one another because I'm not gonna be with you for very much longer. Stuff is getting tense, y'all. Chapters 12, 13, and like on through it are tense moments. The darkness is creeping in. The purest love is met with the deepest betrayal. And the greatest glory is going to be met by the darkest denial. And yet Jesus, knowing what was gonna happen, still went through with the master plan that God had set in place because he loved not just his disciples, but he loved the world, right? John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever should believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen, church. We're gonna stand and sing one more song. Let's invite the worship team back up. Love one another as I've loved you. Lay down your lives for each other. Show unconditional love for each other. Humble yourselves. There's no task that's beneath you. Let's live that out this week, church. As we make our way toward Easter, let's live this out because there's no way that the world is gonna know if we're his disciples other than the fact that we love one another. That's how the world's gonna know. Um, I will say there's not gonna be a prayer room today afterwards. It was supposed to be Buddy and Kathy, but Buddy came down with COVID. So keep Buddy in your prayers as well. And then it was supposed to be me and Caitlin, but Caitlin's homesick and so is Ian. So I need to rush home. Oh, Darren's planning to be there. So there will be a prayer room. Okay, thank you, Darren. Um, so I retract what I just said. There will be the prayer room available. If you need prayers for any reason, for any reason, feel free to come and our church leaders will pray over you. We want to be here for you. We want to shepherd you well and we want to love each other well. Let's stand and worship together. <laughs>